Support for this Returns on Investment podcast comes from Wonder Capital, an easy way to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you help finance renewable energy and earn up to 7.5% a year. To learn more, visit wondercapital.com ROI. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital. Invest in solar projects. Do well and do good. From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. I'm coming to you from Liquinet's New York headquarters. Across town at a WeWork phone booth is Imogen Rose Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us from the world headquarters of Impact Alpha in the San Francisco Bay Area is editor and CEO David Bank. Hi, David. Hi, you guys. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? It's uh, great. It's um. It's you should come back to California. I miss both of you. We're waiting for our invitation. You got it. Okay. Well, on today's episode, we're going to talk about addiction and the opioid crisis in the U.S. and what impact investors could do about it. There are an estimated 23 million drug addicts in this country. In 2016, approximately 64,000 Americans died from drug overdoses. The majority of these deaths involved opioids. That's nearly twice the number of deaths from traffic accidents. Nearly half men aged 25 to 64 who are either unemployed or are no longer looking for work take pain medication on a daily basis, according to Princeton economist Alan Kruger. Nearly two-thirds of those men say that it's prescription pain medication that they take. This all adds up to a big economic and social cost. The economic cost of the illicit drug use and abuse could top $193 billion a year in the U.S. alone. Now, Imogen, you've been after us to talk about this issue for a while. We know that opioid addiction is a significant and growing problem, both socially and economically. Why is this important for investors? I'm a sort of what I would call like an ESG and sustainability perspective, it's clear that there are reasons for investors to be concerned, right? That there is, there is clear, you know, you touched on it in your introduction, that there are clear economic impacts to having this many people suffering from addiction. And you see that time and time again in states and municipalities that are struggling with this. Having this many people out of work because of drug addiction is a problem. Having this many people with serious health issues is a huge burden on states and local municipalities. So you see an economic impact. Then there's also the potential liabilities to drug companies in particular as states and communities and individuals work through the ramifications of that. And investors are going to start feeling that. So those are sort of the high-level issues. Then there is the question of what are investors or participants in the capital markets doing and corporations doing to potentially perpetuate or profit from the addiction crisis that we're seeing. And then there's the question, and this is really where the sort of the impact element comes in, of what can investors do to try and help and prevent this crisis? And, you know, this comes full circle in that there is a clear and urgent need to do that because we're seeing the economic impact of this addiction crisis throughout the country. I, I'm, I'm so glad you've been pressing us on this, Imogen, because I, I think I'm possibly, you know, the example of the problem in that, you know, I've been, you know, the average in, 
informed reader and whatnot about this, but I, frankly, the scale of this has snuck up on me as I think it has on many people. And, you know, the, the question comes up, well, okay, so we have a big problem. There are big costs, as you say. Those costs, if they could be avoided, should be able to fund all kinds of prevention and other things. It would be worth society's while to get ahead of this problem and to reduce those costs. You know, so what can be done, I think, is it becomes the question. Right. And, and I think, Imogen, so you're saying, if I understand you correctly, that there's kind of two components to this, uh, what can be done and what can investors do. So one is engaging those companies that are either part of the problem or exasperating the problem. And some of these are publicly listed companies. Some of these are held by private equity. But they're companies that are, let's say, not doing their part to clamp down on the rise of this uh, epidemic. And then the other kind of category for investors to engage on or act on is investing in solutions, whether they are prevention or treatment or other kinds of solutions. So is that right that there are those two issues and two vehicles through which investors can engage on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I think you need to <laughs> No, is the better answer. <laughs> oh, Imogen reverts to form. Broadly <laughs> um, speaking, of course you're right. However, I think it's a lot more complex than that, right? So there are the just sort of the, the 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 bad the clearly bad actors out there, which would be the companies that have been involved in in current like perpetuating an addiction to these drugs, right? So what are we talking about here? You know, simply put, what happened was doctors were were told that they should be prescribing opioids more as painkillers, and they were. A lot of them were, were, were led to believe that it wasn't addictive. And so they started prescribing them more. And as a result, tons of people got addicted. And we're seeing the consequences of that, right? So the question becomes, who who is responsible for that? And you're seeing, for example, in Oklahoma, there is litigation against certain pharmaceutical companies just as in the past you have seen litigation against tobacco companies or asbestos companies, right? So there is a question of liability. And then there are also questions about, well, how is Medicare and stuff being used around that? So there is a group of actors who are being sort of accused of actually allegedly doing something wrong. Sort of the, the sort of mainstream pharmaceutical industry that has a role in perpetuating this. So you're seeing shareholder engagement and shareholder action around companies such as Johnson & Johnson, right? Do they have greater liability? Are we going to see more of that coming down the pipeline? So that's on the investment side. And then there is the people who are potentially profiting from the addiction that we're seeing, right? So one of the things you're seeing is you're seeing private equity companies in particular start buying up drug treatment centers. And for example, buying up not-for-profit drug treatment centers and changing them into for-profit drug treatment centers. And investors have to, at the very least, think about how they feel about that, right? So it's not necessarily that, you know, all private equity companies are evil, or that like them doing these transactions is inherently bad. But it feels a lot like, for example, you know, buying up mortgage processes in the subprime crisis, mortgage crisis, right? 
it's this sort of profiting from exploiting the poor and disenfranchised. As we said at the top, there's 23 million addicts uh, estimated to be in the country uh, in the U.S. right now. And that's, yes, a very uh, tragic figure. Uh, but if you have the right orientation, you see that as an enormous business opportunity. Those are 23 million potential customers for a rehab uh, facilities or uh, addiction treatments. Exactly. But you can also, and you can take, you, there's a positive spin of it, right? Isn't that like, if you, if you know anyone who's had any experience with drug addiction treatment, it's not very good, right? So the ability to improve that, there is clearly an argument that says if we put capital into these centers and make them better and make people better, that would be a good thing and it's okay to profit from it, right? So it's not black and white, but it's clear that like as investors, we need to think this through and we need to be cognizant of what our money is doing. Because if what our money is doing is purely just creating, you know, being a part of an addiction and treatment cycle, which is what happens a lot, then you know, that is not a long-term economic sustainable good, putting aside the ethical question. I, I, I'm struck by the um, uh, recommendations that, you know, come up in these conversations that actually don't go to, you know, treatment and, and recovery directly, but go to, you know, what I think the wonks would call, you know, social determinants of health, you know, what you, whether it's, you know, housing or, or various kind of public health things or healthy behaviors for kids or, you know, opportunities, job opportunities. These are all the things that sort of create a healthy, you know, community in which I suppose the argument goes, you know, drug addiction would be less prevalent. Is that, you know, does any of that make a, a bit of difference, it, you know, in, in, in what's, you know, actually an addiction? Those seem soft in a way. So this starts in, in part getting into sort of the social finance bond question, right? Um, housing. So, for example, housing has been shown to, uh, a lot of it, a lot of addicts end up in prison, right? So, and there's a cycle of sort of going out on the streets, being addicted, end up in prison, and going round and round and round. Housing helps reduce these people ending up in prison and it can also help reduce addiction. So stuff like that clearly helps. The problem in particular with the opioid addiction crisis is that this was in part a prescripted drug addiction, right? That the, the medical community played a role in it. So that in some ways makes it harder to weed out. But no, those types of social programs clearly help. The challenge is having the funding to do that, right? This is this is where you, you mentioned social impact bonds. And just to make clear that to the, the listeners, the notion there is that there are um, cases or where, where there are cases where you can attach a specific intervention to a specific outcome and that outcome saves somebody money, usually a government agency, then that government agency may be willing to uh, repay investors or investors may be willing to invest in that intervention. They can get repaid by the government from those savings. So this would seem to have some of the elements of that. Uh, you know, though those things have been used, you know, in prison recidivism and diabetes prevention and in the kinds of things, you know, early childhood education, preschool, the kinds of things where the intervention can be fairly directly connected to the savings. So is that something we should be looking at? It, 
We should, exactly. And that, there have been a couple of examples of this. I think Louisville was one, uh, Connecticut is that one. I um, think Louisville and Connecticut are the two we found. Yeah, exactly. And so, but it's surprising to me that there hasn't been more, right? It's, I don't fully understand why the impact community hasn't embraced this issue more aggressively, given that it seems to tick so many of the boxes of things that people care about and things that they're good at. So, as for example, a social finance bond, the, a lot of the early bonds are focused on, you know, how do we reduce costs to government? The whole sort of, you know, the whole pay for success question. You know, a lot of them were focused on like prison recidivism. How do we stop people effectively like relapsing to prison? So it's, I don't fully understand why it's been so hard to adapt those tools to the opioid crisis. You know, part of it is time and certainly people are increasingly working on it. But we've known about this for a decade. So there has been time to start working on this, I think it's just, I mean, and it's interesting that you brought up sort of this, this almost feeling overwhelmed, that like we know this crisis is there, but what, what do you do about it? Because that feels like climate change, right? And so, you know, there's a sort of impact sustainability community is so keen to like have everyone work on climate change with good reason. This seems like, a much easier ask, especially given that there is actually buy-in from both the political left and the political right, recognizing this is a problem. Now, the, the answers are very different, but the recognition that something you know, people's children are dying, right? People's friends are dying, people's partners are dying. So there is a recognition that this isn't a problem that's happening to someone else. A lot of times problems that are happening within people's own family networks and their own social circles. So there is buy-in to act that I'm surprised that the, the, the impact, the voice of the impact community hasn't been louder. We're going to take a quick pause now for a message from our sponsor. When we come back, more on the opioid epidemic. Returns on investment is supported by Wonder Capital, an easy way to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S. Wonder's investors have financed solar projects that offset nearly 75 million pounds of carbon dioxide emissions each year. Visit wondercapital.com ROI to find out how you can invest in solar and earn up to 7.5% per year. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital. And we're back. So Imogen, let me ask you, is, is the opioid epidemic, is this a symptom of broader economic malaise or is it a cause or is it somehow both? Certainly both, right? I think it's, I think it's easy to say, it, it's clearly a symptom of broad economic malaise, right? And it's, there's clearly a cycle between addiction and unemployment or underemployment and you know social alienation particularly for men um and that you know you could look at alcoholism right you can look at all the factors that have the, have the same thing and clearly we can see that having this many people addicted is having a impact particularly on as i said state and municipal budgets i mean again 
you can compare this to basically the pension crisis, right? That, that huge amounts of state and local funds are going into trying and failing to deal with this problem. The other thing we haven't talked about, that, by the way, is how the cost of drugs are going up. And that's a huge issue and something that investors need to be mindful of. But um, this is where this is different. Is this is a this is a man-made problem, right? This is a problem that was created by various actors and and allowed to perpetuate. So it doesn't. It's not like oh my god, how did this happen? We know exactly how it happened, and it's not about blaming poor people. It's not even about blaming government. It's about blaming the the actors in the system that allowed this to happen. And, you know, we've dealt with national health crisis before. We dealt, you know, we combated the AIDS crisis. It's not impossible to do this. It just requires galvanization and action. It strikes me. It strikes me at a at a wonky level that this is the flip side of. We often talk about the internalization of positive externalities, right? That's the what drives an impact investment, right? It's a synonym for impact alpha, right? So the the things the things that your investment does that produce good outcomes in the world that don't necessarily uh, come back in the balance sheet or the income statement of your venture but that are positive externalities of your of your venture and thus of, of the investment. So what you're talking about now is the negative externalities. And we're used to the classic case of, you know, the toxic waste dumped into the waterways or something. That's a negative externality that, you know, regulation has 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 tried to capture. But but what you're talking about is, you know, there might have been perfectly you know legit investments in pharma or other things that have ultimately had, you know, intended or, or, or otherwise, um, negative externalities. And, you know, investors have to tote up their, their negative externalities along with their positive externalities to come up with their full impact. So um, I think what we're, we're, we're edging towards here is, you know, an accounting for what these, what these negative impacts are and, 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 and then, you know, then the reduction of them, you know, <laughs> in some sense is a positive impact. So if you can reduce the negative, it's a, it's a positive. Yeah, no, I think it's exactly that. I think it's sort of taking stock of what we have done and recognizing the extent to which, you know, to, to pull it back to investing, right? Recognizing to the extent to which sort of you as an investor and in sort of your investment portfolio might be participating in that process and then deciding what to do about it and deciding what other positive actions need to be taken. And some of that, by the way, may not be investment, right? Some of that may be engagement, right? And sort of, you know, taking taking action at a civic level or, as I say, engaging with corporations. So Imogen, who do you think should be most active? I mean, I think you've articulated that impact investors and the impact investing community or market such as it is, has been seemingly somewhat slow to respond to this issue. And as the writers at Inside Philanthropy have pointed out, it seems that a lot of institutional philanthropy has been somewhat slow to respond to this issue. Uh, but who, who uh, within the impact investing market do you think should be taking action? Should, should there be uh, new funds established that are investing in you know, new pain medications that aren't addictive uh, or new 
treatment programs that are evidence-based and effective or more outreach strategies to prevent uh, addiction in the first place? Or you know, is this more of a political issue that requires public engagement and political engagement uh, to get government funding to work here? There was starting to be a political agreement from the left and right that, no, A, putting a bunch of people in jail, not the solution, and B, we need to deal with it. So where I think you will see political action, and it is somewhere where, you know, individuals can definitely play a role, is at the state level, right? Because that's sort of the pointy end of the sword, right? This is where it's being felt on a, a real and economic level. Investing, again, for sort of institutional investors, I think that, and in fact investors, I think the number one question is, how is my money being put towards doing harm? And, 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 you know, I would, again, ask your private equity managers, what are you doing? Ask them, you know, you guys have an ESG policy. How is this in keeping with your ESG policy? Um, because that, you know, that suddenly alarms me. Um, and then what are the economic risks associated with what I'm doing? Don't underestimate shareholder engagement. I think engaging with pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies and also, again, sort of, Look at what's happening with Starbucks right now. Like actually raising the level of awareness about what companies are doing can be really effective. I think more of that needs to happen. And then, yeah, on the, the, the pure impact investing side, doing more to put money to work addressing these issues and in particular dealing with addiction. That said, you know, it's well known that addiction is an incredibly difficult thing. And so- it strikes, sorry, go ahead. PRI and MRI dollars can really play a role because there isn't, and even grant dollars, right? Like there isn't another natural capital base and we know that sort of government is struggling and we know that sort of the for-profit or not-for-profit addiction centers aren't solving the problem. It strikes me that there's a parallel to, to other sort of topics where or issues where it's not immediately clear what the impact investing opportunity is, but that if you kind of come at it from the side, you can put a circle around the, the issue. So it's kind of almost like an addiction lens investing or opioid lens investing in the same way that, you know, Humanity United has tried to get a get on top of the question of modern day slavery and, and exploitation by investing in supply chain transparency uh, and, and other things which, you know, don't exactly, you know, immediately directly address that, but which kind of are around the fringes of it. Or, you know, in some case, in some ways, like the gun violence question, like how can you get a fix on gun violence? Well, obviously there's gun companies, but maybe that's not the source of it. But there's other, uh, there's other uh, things that you can either put money into or take money out of that would somehow get at that issue. And so, for example, the things we mentioned earlier, supportive housing, uh, various public health interventions, you know, even kids coming out of foster care, you know, all the kinds of things that are generally pro-social investments that you could look at them for their impact on opioid addiction, you might come up with an interesting portfolio. It strikes me as odd that this hasn't been more quickly Embrace. It may mean, you know, maybe this is a tough issue, but I'm just sort of surprised that there hasn't been more of a willingness to engage. 
Well, let's let's put it to our listeners and to the readers of Impact Alpha. If if you have some thoughts on how the impact investing community can better engage on the opioid crisis, uh, tweet at us at Impact Alpha, uh, or write into uh, info at impactalpha.com, or leave a comment on our website. You know, it's it's a complex issue. Uh, there are uh, a lot of uh, challenges to explore here. It's a huge economic issue, but uh, as Imogen has pointed out, it's a it's also a deep uh, moral issue and a, a, a deep personal issue for so many uh, people, uh, and the the devastating human toll that it takes on families and communities is uh, pretty uh, pretty horrific and pretty intense. I, w- I will se- I will second that that uh, we are on the hunt for investable solutions. We will uh, write them up as as deals. We will write them up as signals. We will cover them as feature stories in Impact Alpha. So um, as you say, uh, you know, bring it on. Great. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, David. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Imogen, for prodding us. <laughs> Thank you guys for finally letting me do the opioid podcast. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha. Special thanks to all of our Impact Alpha subscribers out there. Are you not yet a subscriber? You can subscribe today for compelling daily coverage of the impact investing market. Subscribe.impactalpha.com. That's how you sign up. Subscribe.impactalpha.com. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment.